amazing I'm the reason Everybody fired up this evening I'm exhausted, barely breathing Holding on to what I believe And no matter what you never take that from me My rain is as far as your eyes can see Welcome and you are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast Money Mail Lessons every Friday 9am We've gone past 6,100 people that are subscribed to the email which is pretty cool to see uh, Quite a few unsubscribers by this day and age We've got I think there's about 550 people that have unsubscribed So really only about 5,500 people get it um, I actually just got a message from Cam Cheers Cam, shout out to Cam He's got every single email I've sent uh, saved in a folder because if you've been following for a long time, you would have seen that we have uh, stopped. We we were sending each, if you signed up late, you'd get every single email. So you'd have up to but nearly coming up 115 uh, emails hitting your inbox, so one every single day. But as I got further deeper into this, I thought, oh, I don't know if people are going to be too excited by that and uh, might end up unsubscribing. So now they, when you, you're signing up recently, you only get about five emails just explaining how this all works and some of the most popular lessons and that there's a podcast, etc. And then you just go into the Friday. So if you are new to the podcast or the email, I suggest you go back and go through some of the earlier lessons. Now you can do that podcast format. You can catch up on all of them pretty quickly. And then there's obviously the 30 and 30, which I put together, and then the podcast with Mikey, and then recently Lenny stopping by as well. So I'll endeavor to bring you more people that I think you can learn from and give you a bit of a different take on what is happening out there. But back to my man Cam, he sent me a screenshot of week three when there was 594 recipients and now there's 6,100 and he's highlighted both of this. This is outstanding from Keep the Change number three when you started doing recipient numbers and now today kept all editions in a folder. By far the easiest content on financial literacy to digest for me anyway. Thanks again. I might uh, screenshot that one and we'll chuck that up on the story. But cool to see it growing and when I started this I set out a goal to try and help 100,000 Kiwis which I think I can reach 100,000 people pretty easily but whether they really learn is another another story right and I made a video about the cost of living payment that's going out tomorrow put it on TikTok it's a voiceover of a news article 100,000 views within 24 hours crazy the reach on that platform but you know if I'm you know fucking kidding myself to think that people are actually learning from that they're just trying to get their quick bit of information and they are out of there so really helping people is a hard job to do but We'll hang in the fight uh, as long as I've got the energy and I have the time and uh, hopefully you're learning something along the way. Now this week's lesson is going to be a very quick one because I actually covered the bulk of this with a podcast with Mikey and if you want to go really in depth with that you can go and you can find that podcast. Uh, It was about whether property is a good bet anymore or the safe bet that it's always been and you can get stuck into a good half an hour of that. But this is a sort of a recap of that for the people that read Money Mail and for those that don't want to sit down and listen to Mikey and I uh, crank on on the old pod. But that podcast has actually been one of the most listened to podcasts. And every time we do a podcast, whether it's Next Advisory, My Accounting Practice, or if it's Keep the Change, if it's property related, it's always the most listened to pod. Like Kiwis are just so obsessed with property. And I can see why, because that's exactly what we're about to explore. Uh, But... Things are changing and that's what you need to keep in mind is that when the rules change then maybe we need to change the way we play the game and that's how people adapt, that's how teams adapt, that's how athletes adapt Uh, and it should be no different in our 
personal lives and our financial lives too. So let's get into it. Houses, to the moon or to hell? Now when I grew up, my parents taught me that property doubled in value every 10 years. That's a pretty common Kiwi saying. Everyone sort of talks about that. Oh, property goes up every 10 years. I think at the moment it's every, well, it was seven years when we just blew money into supply during COVID years. But on average, property doubles every 10 years. And, and that's sort of held true for the last 40 years. And that's what's made property so exciting for people is that you can get into it and you're going to make a stack of cash. Even after the GFC, there was a bit of a dip, but it, it's cranked and it's, it's doubled again from there very comfortably as well by 2018 or 2020. It was, it was there, it was back to pre, well it's doubled from pre-GFC levels when it was really bubbling up. Now I've got a graph, if you haven't seen this graph you should check it out, it's on the Keep the Change Instagram, or it's in this email, and it's the value of housing stock. It's taken from the Reserve Bank website, and you can see the value of all houses in New Zealand. What Mikey pointed out on a recent podcast we did around this was that the income levels to the debt are are crazy now. So uh, debt levels to income, sorry. So the amount of debt it takes for people times by their income is, is a lot higher, and that means that we are servicing higher mortgages. Uh, but you know that's what the piece that often gets missed is that, yes, house prices go up, but what also goes up? Debt and mortgages, right? But anyway, just over 10 years ago, I started my first public practice accounting job. And that what public practice means is that you're helping people in the uh, community, in the public, with their tax returns. So business owners and farmers and things like that, and people with rental properties, etc. Everyday people, rather than working in a corporate role where you are working for Microsoft or Spark or fucking whoever. In that decade, I have seen a number of changes to the property rules, which I think over time will have an impact on the value of houses. Now, most of these changes have been designed to decrease the appeal of a rental property as an investment. Some of the major ones have only been implemented over the last few years and are still being implemented when I first started out in accounting, it was the most fashionable time to have a rental property because people could literally game the system in the following way. Now, people would have a rental property with a lot of debt stacked against it using the equity in their home to secure rental lending and claim something called depreciation on that property. Now, just step one on here is you would have one property and then you would buy a rental property and you would try and get all of that debt for the rental property under the rental property because it's tax deductible, the interest on that. So you'd try and have minimal personal debt because there's no tax incentive to have personal debt, but there is if you're using it for a business or for a rental property. So when you are using debt for a business or a property, you try and have that debt under that uh, asset that you're buying or whatever it is that you're buying that can help you generate income because you should more than likely be able to claim the interest as a tax deductible expense on that. So then people could claim what's called depreciation. Now depreciation is a non-cash expense that reflects an asset decreasing in value. This was based on a percentage of the house value. Now a good way to think about this is vehicles for instance. Now they, everyone gets taught, oh as soon as you drive that off the lot that goes down 30%. Well in, in business if you buy a vehicle it will depreciate at a roughly, at, at around a 30% rate. So say you brought a $100,000 vehicle for your business and you needed that to get around and it's helping you generate income and you can claim the depreciation on it. If it cost you a hundred grand, in year one you'd have a depreciation expense of thirty thousand dollars. Now that's a non cash expense. You're not having to pay for that, but you've obviously you've had to pay for the vehicle. But you can claim that depreciation expense as an expense and a cost of running your business. Now, this was the same for people that had rental properties. They could claim a portion of their home that it was effectively decreasing in value and they would end up with a, a non-cash expense in their 
statement of profit and loss, so that's your total rent income minus your expenses. So as an example, Sally and Bob would have a rental statement looking something like this. So let's say they've got rental income of 20 grand for the year, so their tenants have paid them 20 Gs for the year. They'd have expenses like accounting fees, bank fees, depreciation, which we just talked about, insurance, interest expenses, repairs, rates, travel for the inspections, of course. And you know those might come to, say, $40,000 for the year. Now, that means that they've actually lost $20,000. So you'd say, well, that's fucking stupid. Why would you have something that's going to lose you money? But people didn't care about it back in these days because, remember, this is 10 years ago, you claimed depreciation. So they have a loss of $20,000 maintaining their rental property for people to live in. Now, Sally and Bob would put a $10,000 loss each into their personal tax returns, and this would offset their PAYE income, meaning that they get a nice refund as they'd paid too much tax. To step that out for you, to so say they've earned 70 grand doing their job working for Spark or Microsoft or whatever, now they've actually lost 10 grand each on their rental property, so then they offset their income, their PAYE income, to pay back, uh, sorry, to, um, which means that they then end up paying less tax. So I had a client who worked at a bank, they'd make good money, and they're in the 33% tax bracket, but their rental property would lose money for them, so they'd put that loss into their tax return, and voila, they'd get refunded 33% of that loss because they are allowed to under the tax rules. Now, what would often happen is then Sally and Bob would use these two refunds to pay down the mortgage, so that's what some people would do, or they'd repair the property, repair the fireplace, for instance, or curtains or something like that. Now, the key point here is to repair in bold, okay, the rental property and not improve it, as the repair is a tax-deductible expense. So then they can claim that expense in the future, or that sorry, in the next financial year, can't they? And they're going to add that to their expenses in the next financial year. Now, this repair would be, without knowing, wink, wink, increase the value of the property. What I'm suggesting here is people would repair areas of their rental property that they knew, okay, well, if we were to sell this one day, where's the area of this house that we should really repair? Maybe we should give it a paint because, you know, it's getting a little bit average or we should repair the roof or uh, we should just repair the deck and make sure it's looking a little bit sexier. Now, if you repair something, you could claim that as an expense, but if you're improving something, it's not usually an expense. It's more a capital improvement and therefore and not a tax-deductible expense. So then, of course, if Sally and Bob were to sell the property in a system where houses always increase, i.e. see the graph above, they'd also make a capital gain on that rental property and not pay tax on that. So my banking client, for instance, say they said, fuck this, we're getting out of this rental property, we're done with it. They might have paid 400000 for it, but let's say like 300000 back in those days, and then they sell it for, uh, no, let's just be real, 400000 Well, they've got a $100,000 capital gain. Now, they don't need to pay tax on that either. So you can see why this was so popular. Uh, because it was so easy to sort of get ahead. And that's why people said, like, you've got to have a property to get ahead. That's the way to get ahead. And that's, um, you know, that's what people would do. But smart people, if Smelly, Sally, Smelly, Sally and Bob were smart, they wouldn't sell it. They'd buy another rental property. So then they'd have their personal home with minimal debt on it. They'd have their second rental property, which would have, um, you know, it would have debt, most of the debt on that, but as that's going, as both properties are going up in value, they go back to the bank and they would say, "Hey, you know, it's been a few years now. We've paid down some debt on our personal property. We've paid down some debt on our second property, and do we have enough equity, which is the total value of both houses minus the debt? Do we have enough equity to then buy a third home? And with our two incomes that have also increased because we work at the bank and somewhere else, uh, can we?" buy a third home, and they would look and they would go, oh, by the time you get a tenant in there, you've got the equity, you can service the debt, yeah, sure, you can have a third one. So then, again, the process would repeat, we get more debt, and we have another house, and then we can claim all the same things and keep it rolling. 
So that's what how why and how people were accumulating so many houses as as a form of investment, and that's why we've been so slow to get people to learn about the stock market. And then something like Shezies comes along, and eight hundred thousand people sign up, and we think, fuck, you know, maybe if we did that twenty years ago or ten years ago, would it have been popular? Hmm, probably not, because of the environment we're in. People would be like, fuck, buying shares, you know, just bloody buy a house. So. There's just some historic understanding for you. So you can see why property was so sexy, right? Now, shortly after I started out in the big wide world of accounting and talking rental properties with clients, the rules got rid of claiming depreciation as that made no sense when all properties go up in value. So that what they said is like, no, oh, this is actually pretty stupid that people are claiming depreciation as an expense. Let's bin that. And they did that and they thought this is going to be a major change. But really, that was just one expense gone. And what people now realise too is that you can still claim depreciation on the chattels of a house. So rental owners often get these valued. So that might be the white wear that's included in a rental property. It could be the heat pumps. It could be um, other things with throughout the house like curtains and different things. And they get that all valued up and then they depreciate that which puts an expense into their tax return. But you can't depreciate the, the house as a whole anymore. Now fast forward to 2015 and the rules changed again. Kind of. They said that if you sold your rental property within two years, then you'd be paying tax. So go back to my example. My client at the bank, they had one house, their own home. They got their second. They got a second home, being the rental, and then they decided, like, let's get a third one. And then the rules in 2015 said, okay, well, if you sell house number three within the next two years, you need to pay tax on any capital gain for that. Now, these were the introduction of what's called the bright line rules. But these rules didn't do jack shit because people had been buying to hold for 10 years, just like my parents had taught me. And they'd be like, okay, well, we're clearly just going to hold this for longer than two years. Um, and that's what you know they were taught to do. So the rules didn't do bugger all. Now, in 2018, they extend three years later. It took us three years to figure out, fuck, this is pretty dumb. Maybe we should change this to five years. So then if you sell it within five years, then you're going to be paying tax on any gain. And then in 2021, which is actually quite recently, they changed it to 10 years. So now if you buy a rental property and you sell it uh, and you make a gain on that, then you're going to be paying some tax. And I had a client last year who bought and sold quite quickly and they made quite a bit, a um, good couple of hundred thousand. They you know, timed it quite well and they had to pay tax on that. And you know, so the, I think they lost sixty six or $70,000 of that gain um, to tax because it was captured by the bright line. So these bright line rules are now capturing some tax and that's putting more tax back into the government's pockets to then hopefully pay down some debt that we have racked up or spent on hospitals and policemen and uh, nurses, etc. But it doesn't look like that's actually what's happening. But anyway, let's not get too political. Uh, so 10 years was more like it, wasn't it? You know, these rules exclude the family home, of course, and some new builds are in a few others. So you know, if you're going to sell, your lawyer will have a good understanding of these, but you should probably seek some advice to just make sure that your accountant knows what they're doing. Uh, your lawyer knows what they're doing, so seek some advice if you're going to sell. Now, the Brightline rules were there to make some people pay taxes on gains on rentals, and they have captured a fair few people's sales and therefore tax. Now, I need to take you back as well to 2019-2020, where we introduced new ring-fencing rental losses, and you're thinking, Luke, what the fuck are they? Well, this means that deductions for residential properties are ring-fenced, so they can only be used against the income from the property. In other words, from the 2019-2020 to income year, new ring-fencing rules mean people cannot use rental losses to offset other income like salary and wages. So my client, for instance, they couldn't then claim all of those expenses and get their loss and put that into their tax return. Nuh-uh, we got rid of that. So then they're not going to get that refund to then repair their property and rinse and repeat that cycle. Now, no more putting losses in old Sally or Bob's tax return to get a refund. 
to repair the property. Damn it, Sally and Bob said to their accountant. This was actually a pretty big change because the loss would just carry forward to more profitable rental years. So what this meant is that your rental property is still making a loss, but you would carry it forward to the next year and then the next year. And then as your rental property started to make uh, profit, you would offset your profit with the losses that you've got from prior years. And this did actually start happening. Rentals become very profitable because they didn't have high interest rates. And so people were actually then having to start paying some tax on some of their rental returns too. And I've just done some for clients recently where their rentals are profitable and make, say, $10,000, and if they're in the 33% tax bracket, well, then there's $3,300 of tax they have to pay on it. One of them's in the 39% tax bracket. They earn over 180 k so 3900 bucks on their 10 k of rental uh, income that they have and profit, and, yeah, they've got to pay $3,900 in tax. So this was a, a pretty big change when we started what's called ring fencing these losses and telling people no, you can't put them into your tax return if they're losses, they have to be carried forward, but if they're profits, you need to start paying tax on them. Now, uh, oh, I've just lost my place. Pretty big change. Now, another big change in 2021. Yep, that's for, so for rent, residential rental property purchased on or after March, this is getting quite granular, but I knew some people were like, oh, you've missed this piece. Um, so from for properties purchased on or after 27th of March 2021, interest, oh, also, sorry, no, now we into the next piece. So in uh, 2021, remember the expenses above, well now we've said that selling bulb, that you can't claim your interest as a tax deductible expense going forward as it will be phased out. So this was a major change. For residential rental property purchased on or after March 27th, 2021, interest cannot be claimed as an expense from the 1st of October 2021 unless an exclusion or exemption applies. So if you are buying rental properties, you want to check what those exemptions, exclusions are. Now this is the first year of completing sets of rental accounts in the 2022 financial year, ended March 31, 2022, where people aren't able to claim 100% of their interest expenses. People can still claim a percentage, but it is being decreased over the next five years. Any losses carried forward. Now, so say you pay 10 grand a year in interest to the bank for your rental property. What we're saying is that that's no longer going to be a tax deductible expense. So taking you back 10 years ago, that's kind of like when they phased out depreciation and said, nah, not going to let you do that anymore. That's what they're doing with interest. And in that 10 years, it didn't do anything to slow down the growth of house prices in New Zealand. But this is a pretty major one because it makes rental properties a completely different yielding investment because some of the things that have been claimable aren't. Therefore, that manipulates what the return of a rental property is. So this is the first financial year we've been doing accounts where a portion of the interest, so the back six back end six months of the financial year, so from October to March, only seventy five percent of the interest has been tax deductible. Now over the next five years, that is going to be phased down to zero percent. So you won't be able to claim any of your interest on your rental property, uh, which is a, a big shock for a lot of rental investors. Now, in 10 years, I've witnessed some pretty major changes to rental property tax rules. The major ones are only really a couple of years old, so they will take some time to have an impact on the overall uses of rental properties as an investment and the value of homes. Now, whether these will slow down the excitement of investing in rental properties is yet to be seen. Uh, We don't have the data for that because these changes are too new, but the rules of the game have changed and the property doubles every 10 years chat may still be a thing due to other reasons, i.e. Kiwi's obsession with home ownership and the fact people need somewhere to live and the fact that we love getting 500 likes on social media when we buy a house uh, and we're just taught like properties where you make money in New Zealand and until that narrative goes away, people will think, okay, I need to buy a house, this is the correct path to go down. But the benefits of rental investing aren't like they were 10 years ago because the rules have changed, right? So they're not as sexy for selling and Bob 
or my uh, client who worked at the bank and had a couple of rental properties and could rinse and repeat and make some good capital gains. Of note is the fact that interest rates are a lot higher now and debt levels are higher too. Buying a rental now has fewer tax incentives attached to it, but it's also harder. Losses from higher interest will be large and servicing of debt will be harder too just because levels of debt are higher. Now you may be able to use some of these losses in your rental property to carry forward and offset the gains if your rental becomes profitable or when you trigger a gain when selling your property within those 10 year bright line rules. So keep that in mind. Now this email isn't to tell you or podcast isn't to tell you that property is a bad investment. It's to teach you that just like sport, the rules can change. You may not like tax and accounting, but you need to understand the rules that govern the sport of property because for a long time it has been Kiwi's favourite sport. There are always fine details with any tax situation, so don't treat the above as tax advice or email me to tell me I forgot to mention some minuscule rule people wouldn't have cared about. This is what happens, like accountants, they love reading the shit and being like, oh Luke, you fucking idiot, you left this out. I'm like, oh yeah, cool man, you try and write an email that people can understand uh, without turning them off by including every single minute, minuscule rule that is probably isn't actually going to apply to them. But also, the funny thing here, for younger people, the next time your parents ask you why you haven't bought a house yet, because this sometimes happens, like, why haven't you bought a house? You know, ask them, why, why didn't you fucking buy three? You know, given it was all stacked in your favour and you knew they'd double every 10 years, and, and they have for the last 40 years, and you had all the tax rules and advantages in your favour, then why didn't, why didn't your olds buy three? Ask them that. Uh, but, you know, please be careful. They might, uh, might knock you out, and you can blame it on me, but not if you're in Auckland, because they might hunt me down. Now, I hope that this is giving you a good understanding of property changes over the last 10 years. There are more, but this will get you thinking about the key changes. Mike and I recorded a whole podcast on this. You can go and check that out if you want. Now finally, well no, point to ponder, over the last few decades real estate and mortgage advisory have been great careers to get rich in. The income for both of these roles is based on a percentage of the property sale or the debt needed to finance one. I just wanted to include this because I did a video recently about changing the vehicle you're in and this is what, you know, you need to understand these things. So say you're a real estate agent, you think about it, if you were selling a real estate, if you were selling houses 10 years ago and now you're selling them today, your income is directly attributed to the value of property so it's a pretty like it's a pretty inflation proof job to have because as house prices increase in value so does your income now for a lot of us as house prices have increased our incomes haven't increased to match the increase in house prices so therefore it's harder to buy a house because the income we need to buy one hasn't kept up with the ability to service the debt. So if you were in a vehicle like mortgage advisory, which then their income is tied to the levels of debt that people take out, or selling insurances, which are then inflation adjusted based on the CPI, and you get more expensive and then you collect more commission because they those insurances are, are higher for people to pay, and then you get your cut of that, and the same for real estate agents. So I'm trying to get people to see, oh yeah, that's interesting. Like if you're in the right vehicle, it doesn't really matter what happens to property prices and inflation because you're still getting rewarded handsomely for what's going on. Of course, there's swings and roundabouts and, and booms and busts in those industries, but you know if you're good at those things, then you're a little bit protected from what's happening with inflation and house prices. Now, because house prices have increased faster than the cost of living, so food, housing, etc., these people have been able to get ahead faster than other jobs. Of course, you still need to be good at it. Finally, property values, as per that graph above, will look exciting, but remember what underpins them. Debt. House prices have gone up. Mortgages to buy them have as well. Have a proper and then brackets TY weekend, like property weekend, get it? Yeah, it's a fucking poor dad joke, isn't it? Uh, You're one of 6,100 recipients. Is there someone you can forward this to? Put something on your story. I would really appreciate that.
Now, did you know, apparently, the average time between a property being sold, brought and sold, is seven and a half years. This week, an agent told me that they'd sold one house three times in just seven years. I, I told them the stat, and they were like, nah, like, it's usually like three and a half years where I come from. I thought, holy shit. So, you know, if people are, um, you know, buying and selling their own homes that they live in, they're not going to get caught by these bright line rules because it's their personal property, and... They're just moving from one to the other. But you do have to be careful if you're making a habit of doing that. The IRD could look into that and go, oh, well, are you, you know, are you improving these along the way and doing something we don't know about? Um, so be very careful if that if you are, you know, genuinely trying to game the system where you're finding some place and doing it up and then selling it and you, you may get looked into, but you know, that would be a very small percentage of the population having a crack at doing something like that. Now, I hope that those rules have been understandable for you and you have been able to learn something there because, you know, like I say, the rules of the game have changed and the more we understand them, then the better our education is going to be. Look after yourselves out there. I'm off to the Warriors tonight. Exciting stuff to watch the storm probably pump them, but anyway, it'd be good to, uh, to get out there. I will see you next Friday. It's amazing, so amazing, so amazing.